Hey, good morning, you guys. Good morning on this uh, December 10th Sunday. I hope uh, things are going well for you and um, God is good and you're ready to dig into the Word of God. Uh, a couple things to uh, let you know about. Uh, we have a uh, group going to be live with us this morning, um, a dance group doing a Christmas program. They're going to share a, uh, a short uh message to encourage our people to go and um, see them live at the local theater. We are loving our city. This is what we're striving to do on a continual basis. Be the hands of Jesus out in the community. That's where we want to be. Christmas caroling this coming Wednesday. If you want to come, come on and we'll do that together. So we're talking about, oh, the joy. We continue on this topic. This is a great word of encouragement uh, but it comes to us in a very in, intense way. Uh, it, it's a word that we need, uh, this word of joy. We need joy. We need joy in our life. The world needs joy because the world is in a world of hurt. And we know, we know that God works like in mysterious ways, right? I mean, God works in ways that we don't even think. He is beyond and above and way outside of us. And so he works in mysterious ways. Well, it's also true then that the things of God come to us in mysterious ways and in mysterious places, unexpected places. When you least expect it, God is going to show up and he's going to do something that you never saw coming. And usually through crisis, through tragedy, or through something that you never thought God would somehow make a way. But that's how God works. Paul is in a prison cell in, in Rome, and he is writing this letter from prison. And he has a really good word for us. Uh, we're in the book of Philippians, so flip to Philippians in your Bible. Uh, break that out and get ready to go. He's got a really good word for us today. Today, uh, this is Paul's word to you and to me. Joy will come. Joy will come to your life. It'll come to you when you serve God until it hurts and it costs you everything. That's where you will find true joy. This is where you will find God's joy. This is where you will find a joy so deep and so strong and so powerful that nothing on this planet will ever take it away. The fluff joy that the world gives comes and goes, right? Things happen, we lose the joy, it's gone. We were joyful one day and we're not the next because we got bad news about something. Well, bad news is gonna come all the time. Like it or not, that's the world we live in. It's broken and it will come. Joy, the joy of God that only comes from the throne of God is going to come when, when it hurts, when it hurts you, when you give and you sacrifice and you lay it out there for the Lord and it costs you everything. That's where you're going to find the joy that only God has for you. We're in chapter 2 of Philippians, so turn there in your Bible. Uh, he just got done, Paul just got done, pointing out uh, Jesus' example to us in chapter 2. He just got done showing us 
the sacrifice of Jesus, right? That he, that he uh, loves us so much that he came to this earth. And so in chapter uh, 2, verse 12, Paul says again, therefore. We see this word again, therefore. Therefore, and so whenever we see the therefore, Paul uses therefore a lot in this letter. We got to back up a little bit and look at what he was talking about that ties in what he's going to talk about. Okay, so again, we see it, and, and, and here's what the therefore is there for. In light of what we studied last week, in light of Jesus becoming one of us, in, in light of Jesus letting go of his equality with God and becoming a human being, he let go of equality with the Father, he becomes a servant, he becomes human, he becomes one of us. And he does this all to give his life for you and for me. And the key word in that section right above this section is that Jesus was obedient. That word obedient. Because that's a verb, that's an action word. Jesus lived out God's will for him. He lived out God's plan. He worked, he served, he laid it all out there. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when it came to the work of Jesus, he was obedient to that work. The gospel in four words is this, Jesus died for you. That's the gospel in four words. You share that, those four words with anybody at any time, anywhere, and those words will have an impact on that person. Jesus died for you. He loved you till it hurt, right? Jesus loved us until it cost him everything. And the one who went to the cross for you and for me calls us to take up our cross and follow him. To live for him, to sacrifice with him, to suffer together with him until it costs us everything and until it hurt. So that's what the therefore is there for. My dear friends, that's cool. Right, this is John used this little children. He used the, remember in our last series, Dear Children, Paul uses the, the term dear friends a lot. My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, 12 and 13, two verses that we're going to look at, and it's going to take us two weeks to get through this, because, because there's a lot here. There's a lot that Paul is trying to say to us. Paul has a good word for them. He's got a good word for us, and this is what is making his joy complete. This is what is bringing joy to the heart of Paul, okay? You're living the faith. You see what he says? You are living the faith. You're doing it. Your obedience to Jesus is constant. You are faithfully devoted to, to Jesus. And it's evident to everyone around. And word is getting back to Paul in Rome that this is what is going on in Philippi. He says, my dear friends, as you have always 
obeyed. That's a, that's a great word to be said about somebody or, or to be said about a group of people. My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, you are living out the example of Jesus. And look, not just when I was with you, but even in my absence, you are doing, you are doing what God would want you to do. You are faithful to Jesus all the time, whether Paul is watching or he's not there. You are the same person. At home, you are the same person. At the church building, you are the same person. At work, you are the same person. In the community, you are the same person. When you play your sports and when you do your hobbies and when you do your thing, you are the same person. You are faithful and devoted to Christ. This is good. This is very, very, very good. Now, we know in our own lives that this is not always the case with people in our family, and even in, uh, you know, our communities, right? There's an old saying, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? Right? It's a little uh, clever little uh, saying about how we accept sometimes this kind of behavior. When the cat's away, the mice We'll play. Well, parents, parents, if you have small children, wouldn't it be nice if you had Philippian kind of kids? Like, like with their things, they, they were responsible with their stuff. With their technology, they were responsible with their technology, their friendships and their chores and, and their bedroom, their clothing, their stuff, their toys. Wouldn't it be cool if your kids were, were growing up and being really responsible with these things? So Paul provides for us a quick word to our young people, okay, right here. And it has to do with this idea of trust. And, and this is the same thing with us and God. So it's no different between us and God, uh, parents and their kids, boss and their employee, whatever the situation, this is true across the board. But specifically for older children who are probably still in the home, maybe they're becoming teenagers. Trust. Trust, right? So, so right off the bat, <laughs> You're born, right? and this is the scale, and your parents love you so much. You are perfect. You are the greatest thing that has ever happened to them. You're the apple of their eye. You can do no wrong. Everything you do is so cute. You are terrific. And so you have automatically, from the get-go, you are loaded down with trust. You have it all. It's all it, on you. It's all in you. You have it. You have all the trust of your parents that you could ever want. But then something happens as we get older. We begin to make some of our own decisions. We begin to develop some of our own attitudes. We begin to, 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 to make decisions about what we're doing with our things and with our stuff and with our phone and with our language. We begin to talk back. We begin to buck the system. We begin to act irresponsible. And so we begin to throw away some of that trust. With good decisions, we, we add to the trust. With bad decisions, we lose the trust, right? This is what happens. And I know this very well. Like uh, even in ministry throughout the years, I have, seen, I have seen kids who are so good. I mean, they just are honest, they're respectful. They say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. They, they clean up their stuff. They, they've never lose trust. They, they just really never lose trust. They've always had it, and they're always going to have it. 
Because they just have become responsible people. And a lot of that is because the parents have done a great job. I know the opposite of that. I know kids who throw trust away. Like as soon as they start making decisions, they're bad ones. They talk back. They are stubborn. And, and they don't want to listen. Well, you know, I understand that. Because that was me. That was me. Okay, I threw trust away. And so what happens, obviously, is as you get older, your parents aren't going to trust you. You want to use the car? No, you're not going to use the car. You're not, even, you're not even trustworthy with your toys. How am I going to give you the car? Okay, right. So we, as adults, we understand that. As kids, we don't get it. So we get to decide what the trust happens with our trust. Now, most people, they throw all the trust away and they've, they've burned their bridges. They've made bad decisions. They're, they're not going to get anything from their parents because they proved themselves to be untrustworthy, right? Now, here's the thing. The good news is this. If you've thrown all your trust away as a young person, God can restore that, okay? Over a period of time, you can rebuild trust by making good decisions, by being a good person, by beginning to do things correctly, you can re-earn, you can gain that trust back. That's a beautiful thing. That is what God is in the business of doing, restoring our lives when we have messed them up. Now, the Philippians, they're acting right. They are acting correctly. They are devoted to God. They are spreading the gospel. They are living out the Christian life. They are doing things correctly. And then Paul says, he says, you guys are awesome, right? You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Keep it up. Keep it up. But then he adds this. Continue. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you see what he says? He says, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. And this statement throws all the once saved, always saved people into convulsions. Right? They don't want to believe that we can do anything. They don't want to believe that, that we have any part in any of it. God does it all for me. From beginning to end, all of it. I do nothing. I just sit back and bask in the grace. Well, they don't like verses like this, okay? They don't like verses. They try to figure out a way to justify it away so that I don't have to do anything. God just always accepts me and always loves me, and I'm never going to lose my salvation. Once saved, always saved. I can't walk away. No, it's, not, it's just a bunch of garbage. Paul says, you continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is not before you come to Jesus. This is after you come to Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking to a group of Christians who have already given their life to Christ. And he says to them, look, you continue to work it out. Work it out. Continue. This means you keep, keep at it. Day by day by day, you work at your salvation. You work at becoming more like Jesus. You have an active part and a role in the process. You are very much working with God in your own life. He doesn't say, no, he doesn't say work out your family and your home with fear and trembling. 
although we ought to work on our family and our home. He doesn't say work on your career choice. He doesn't say work out your ministry in the church, even though you should. He says you work out your salvation. This is your walk with Jesus while you're walking on this earth every day. You keep working at it. You work it out. You better believe that you have a role in your salvation. God is working, and we need to work together with God on us, on me. Yes, 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 he began a good work in us, and yes, 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 salvation and grace is free. But we, our will, our submission, our obedience must be brought under the authority of Jesus, and it must stay there. We don't get to make up excuses. There's no claiming the fifth. There's no finger pointing. There's no get out of jail free card. There's no exemptions, no spectators, no hanging up your shoes of service. There is no quit in God's people. There is no surrender in the children of God. And there are no bleachers for anyone to be sitting on watching others do the work. Together as the church and with Jesus, we are all in it to win it. All of us play an active part. This is what Paul is saying to them. And this ties directly into joy. You get this right and joy will come. You get this wrong and you'll never have the joy of God. See, he's saying you run the race. There's a race marked out for you. Run that race. Run to get the prize. Run to win the prize. So I got a couple of picks for you. Check this out. This is our uh, flag football. Sorry about the picture. A little blurry. I stretched up. Our little flag football team going on right now. We started this league uh, here in Burlington. Seems like I've started leagues in every city that we've ever been. But this league just now got launched. Working together with our rec department. We've got nine teams in our league. And it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. But check this out. Here's a pick. This is some of the action. I want you to notice something. You see this right here? So right here, here's the guy with the ball and he's running. And here's a guy who just dove and pulled the flag. Let me give, let me zoom in on that. There's the flag. Dove and pulled, that's me. I dove and pulled this flag. Well, you know what? 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, this was a natural reaction. I should not be doing this. I shouldn't be diving for a flag. Uh, you know, being on the field is one thing. Diving for a flag. I've got a, I've got a knee replacement. I've got titanium in my back. I shouldn't be diving for anything ever. But I just can't, I just can't stop. I just can't, I refuse to give it up. I just, it's just, it's just something that's a part of who I am. <laughs> I, uh, People have retirement plans, right? A lot of people have retirement plans. Most people have retirement plans on, on how they're going to retire. Are they going to, they're going to quit working at 65 and they're going to, uh, you know, cash in uh, the Social Security and they're going to live heavily, happily ever after somewhere. Here, you know what my retirement plan is? Here it is. My retirement plan is this. I've got one or two little life insurance policies, so when this happens, Trish will be okay. My retirement plan is this. I'm going to get up in the pulpit one day and I'm going to preach this sermon 
And at the very end of it, I'm just going to fall asleep and go be with Jesus. Okay, that's, that's my retirement plan. I'm just going to drop and go be with Jesus. Till the day I die. Until the day I can't breathe another breath. That's what I'm planning to do. That's my plan. And some people might think this is foolish. Some might think this is kind of a, a foolish way to go. And it may be. But those are probably the same people that, that would have told God that sending Jesus, your only son, to the earth to suffer and die on a cross is probably not a good idea. The, the same people who thought that would be foolish probably think what I'm doing is foolish. And here's the thing. People are fools for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different causes, right? I mean, people act like fools for different things, don't they? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, check what Paul said. Oh, I love this. He said, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. That's where they came out last because they were about to be slaughtered. We have been made a spectacle, look at this, to the whole universe, to angels as well as human. Did you know that even the angels are looking in at you and me, our lives, as well as to human beings? And then look at verse 10. We are fools for Jesus. We are fools for Christ, and, I, and, and he doesn't say this, but he could have probably said this, and we are so glad to be his fools. You know, we hear parents say at times, boy, you acting like a fool, right? You hear your parents say, you acting a fool, right? Here, here's a good question for all of us. Here's a very good question for you to ask yourself. Whose fool am I? Whose fool am I? Like, really, whose fool am I? Because we're a fool for somebody. And we're, we're, we're fools. Like, maybe you're your own fool. You know, maybe you are fooling nobody but yourself. Maybe you're a fool for a woman or a man, your husband, your wife. You're a fool for them. I remember uh, back in the day, Bob, at his wedding, uh, my brother's wedding, uh, a song was sung by Lionel Richie called Endless Love. And in that song, it said, I'll be a fool for you. And I'm laughing a little bit because I think, I think it was Trish who sang the song at their wedding. So I'll be a fool for you. Maybe you're a fool for your boss. Maybe you're a fool for social media. Maybe you're a fool for a sports team. Or, 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 or have you gone all in? Have you gone in and said, I am going to be a fool for Jesus. I am going to be God's fool. I'm going to be a fool for somebody. So I'm going to decide that I'm going to be his fool. Joy is found when you decide to become a fool for God and not for anything else on the planet. When you decide that God is the most important person in your life and you're not going to be swayed by anything on this earth, money, gold, retirement, stuff, none of it. 
None of the material stuff on the earth that all is going to perish. When you decide that you're going to be a fool for God, this is where the seed of joy will begin to grow. There is never a time, there is never a time for God's people to do nothing. Everybody that says they're followers of Jesus, connected to his body, part of the church, ought to be doing something. If you're doing nothing and you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus, then you are a fool for nothing. If the Son of God would come to this earth, give every ounce of his blood for you and for me, lay it all on a line for our eternal joy, and serve us to the very point of death, how can we think for even one second that we don't have to do anything or that we have done enough? If there are lost souls wandering around our community, walking in this world, then there is work to be done. There is a mission to be carried out. There are marching orders for you to follow. Paul says, Paul says, you work it out. You work out your salvation. You see that? This literally means your own. You Work out your own salvation. You work it out. Together with Jesus, you and him work it out. You follow his marching orders wherever they lead. Watch the example of Jesus. As a servant, he did all the heavy lifting, right? And yes, his blood covers all of my sin. And by his example to us of sacrifice and servanthood, he calls us, he calls us to follow him, right? He calls us to follow him. He says, no servant is above their master. If this is how Jesus was, then his servants should do the same thing, right? I have set you an example, Jesus said, that you should do as I have done for you. And he said that when he was washing their feet. Why? Uh, we, don't, we don't come into grace through works, okay? We, we know that. We're not saved by works. We're saved completely a free gift of grace. We come into it by grace. But as a child of God, we must find our place of service and ministry and get to work. Get busy serving. Get busy serving the kingdom until the day we drop. There's no retirement plan in ministry on this planet. Yesterday, yesterday we celebrated the life of Edith Ivy, who passed away. Edith has been a member of this church for a long, long, long time. Almost, I think, about since it started. Or pretty close. And she has been a faithful woman of God who served God who, to the very end of her life. 82 years old. To the very end, with grace and with joy, she served Jesus. She, she, she was everywhere. She was everywhere working, serving, quietly, just doing ministry, doing work, serving each other, serving these people, serving the community. Edith's attitude was not, that's enough. Edith's attitude is, was, what more can I do? Like, we live in a world that, that is crying, enough, enough, I'm doing too much, I'm too busy. 
You're, you might be busy, but you're busy for the wrong things. You will never be too busy serving God. Never, never. It'll always be, what more can I do for you, Lord? In Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, there's a great passage of scripture. I want to read a little section here. Matthew chapter 9 in your Bibles. Beginning in verse 35, look what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Let me just stop and make a comment there. Where, where is Jesus? Where's Jesus? He's not hiding out with his little homies somewhere all the time. He, he spent time with them, but he's not. Most of the time he wasn't there. He's not just hanging out with his family or tucked in his little crib, you know, chilling, watching, you know, NFL. He's, he's in the community. He is out there rubbing shoulders with lost people. He's healing the sick. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's, he's walking with people. He's visiting with people. He is, he is so deeply into the community. That's where Jesus is. I don't know where you are, but that's where Jesus, that's where we find him. And when he saw the crowds, okay, he's looking out and he sees the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that true? We look out into our world today and we see all that's going on and people are being treated like little sheep and the powers to be have their thumb on them, controlling them in other countries and even now in our country. This is how it is. And Jesus then says, he looks at the crowds of people. He sees them all. He's been with them. He's been healing. He's been teaching. He's been taking care of them. And he turns to his disciples and he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The work to be done is so intense. There's so much work to be done. But where are the workers? Where are the servants? Where are those who say they're following Jesus? Following in where? Not into the community, not to reach the lost. That's not where we're following. We're following them to our own little, little church buildings where we sit in our own little pews. We hear a nice little sermon and then we go out and we just keep doing our thing. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You know, he says, you guys pray. Disciples, you pray that, that God will send out workers. Well, guess who the workers are? Us. Us. We are the workers. We are praying maybe for ourselves to get our own act together and get out there and serve the Lord. Where are the servants? Where are those who are going to go into the harvest field and reach the lost before Jesus comes back and it's over? Where are they? Where are those precious, precious saints that are going to pray it up? Those precious saints who are going to sweat it up and give it all up and lay it all down for his kingdom. Where are they? Where are those? Where are those who are going to care more about the kingdom of God than we do about our little piece of dirt on the planet? His grace provides for you and me salvation. 
The work of Jesus has given to you and me this free gift of grace and salvation. And in that, you and I, we rejoice in that. There is a depth of love and acceptance and forgiveness there that brings a joy to the depth of our heart. And we celebrate what God has done for us. But his grace, his grace for us does not excuse us from the work of the kingdom. One scholar said it like this, and I like this a lot. Grace to the cross, work from the cross. That says it so well. There is nothing you and I can do to earn his grace, to earn his forgiveness. But once we receive it, once we understand what Jesus has done and we come into this beautiful relationship with God and he forgives me of all my sin and I understand that he went through all this for me, how can I not leave the cross and go and want to serve him with everything in me until the day I drop? How can I not? How could we not? Oh, you want joy? You want joy? It's going to be found in the most mysterious place. And I am telling you now, joy is going to come when you give it all for Jesus. When you lay it all out there for him. When you serve him until it hurts and it costs you everything. When you're there, you are going to realize a joy that is an unspeakable joy that words cannot even describe. Oh, the joy. You guys have a great day, have a great week, and we will see you next time. God bless you.